try to have a little more fun, like, yeah, yeah loosey-goosey yeah. kind of thing, okay. right? This is not like hard-hitting. It's more like, hey, got a question for you guys? It's hard for me. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> Don't worry, man. We can get yeah, yeah. Sounds good. Sounds okay. good. Hi everyone, I'm Josh McCormick. And I'm Rick Carrillo, and this is Slew Talks. Here's a question for you. How well do you know your grandfather's medical history? Here's another. How well do you know the different medical conditions you may be predisposed to based on your genetic history? Those questions were answered for our next guest when he was diagnosed with testicular cancer at age 29, the very same cancer that his grandfather died from. Kyle DeLeon also revealed for us that had it not been for his loss, he may not have won his own battle with cancer. Now, as the Texas Grassroots Manager for the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network, Kyle shares his story to remind people of the importance of taking control of their health and being informed. Kyle, hi. Welcome to Salute Talks. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, Kyle, let's start off by just giving our audiences some context of what brings you to Salute Talks today, your story. My role involves going across the state, building communities of supporters and volunteers, and helping to train those volunteers and supporters to have engaging conversations with lawmakers at the city, state, and federal level so that we can enact legislation that will improve cancer care for current and future survivors down the line for everybody. Um, I myself am a cancer survivor. I'm 10 months in remission. Uh, A lot of people can't tell that by all the hair that I have right now, but I lost every, pretty much every strand of it. Uh, It was a really rough road, but... uh, through that, I was able to find a bit of purpose in the Cancer Action Network and advocacy so that I would be able to find some way to help others who are going through the same or similar circumstance and help their families and make it a little bit easier. You know, this isn't a, a fun road. It's very challenging. But if there's any way that we can improve it, then I'm in. Kyle, can you share um, for listeners your story with cancer? What happened? Um, you know, what that process was like? Sure. Well, I noticed a small lump on the backside of my left testicle. So he felt it, and he was like, is it that? And I had a little twin, like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. So it was sensitive, in other words. It was sensitive, yeah. At that point, he also gave me some antibiotics that uh, I took for 10 days there. Uh, It didn't do anything other than making my teeth sensitive, and it made my skin sensitive and itchy. But uh, at this point, it was uh, a couple of weeks after the initial exam and taking the antibiotics it hadn't gone away and uh, at this point my testicle had begun swelling I go and I see a urologist Uh, the urologist at first said yeah it looks like it's epididymitis let's just so they put me on a different set of antibiotics this time and so they asked me to take an ultrasound um, in conjunction with the antibiotics that they prescribed me Um, so I went and took the ultrasound and I I'm on my way home from taking the ultrasound, and I get a call from the office saying, we need you to come right back and do some blood work. Uh, it doesn't look like what we thought it was. So so you were home in your driveway when you got the, the call? Yeah, that I needed to come back and do some blood work. And luckily, we I live in Austin, Texas, so resources and medical facilities are within an arm's reach anywhere I would want to go. Right. Uh, so I was able to just drive 10 minutes right back to the clinic, get my blood work done, and uh, that was on a Thursday so I go back on that Tuesday, and I'm sitting there in agony, just wondering, like, is this what it could possibly be? Anyway, so I um, I go in on Tuesday, and meanwhile, while I'm in here, my wife and her family are off in Washington doing a memorial service for her grandparents. And uh, 
So they are all also a little bit anxious over on their end while they're also trying to deal with this beautiful family ceremony. I'm at home trying to you know take care of myself, but also uh, being a little bit babyish. Like, I wish my family was here. I wish I, <laughs> wish I had people here with me. Um, so I go in to that appointment on Tuesday, and my urologist, Dr. Brett Baker, uh, sat me down and just kind of took a deep breath, and he said, well, <laughs> and it really just came out that it's it's cancer. And I sat there in silence for a little bit, you know, drove home and called my family members, uh, my immediate family first off, and told them that this is, it is what it is, because they'd been in the loop on a text chain of what was going on and how this wasn't getting better and how I was going to the doctor. Uh, and so I just made those phone calls. Everyone's getting, you know, emotional because we are all kind of overwhelmed uh, when you think about cancer you think of older people you think of uh, 50 plus you think of death also right um, how old are you when i just turned 30 this year so i had just turned 29 rewinding a little bit i kind of knew that this was a possibility for me because i'd learned actually just probably four or five months before i noticed the lump that my grandfather had actually died from testicular cancer my goodness uh, more than likely the same one that i had uh, my grandfather was an undocumented immigrant he came over to the united states when he was 14 worked really hard he worked in the field sunrise to sunset uh, he was treated as if it was tuberculosis turns out that was not what the case was and uh, by the time that he had an official diagnosis of it being testicular cancer, his testicle was roughly the size of a grapefruit. Uh, and mind you, this man is in the fields, sunrise to sunset, hunched over, uh, working, 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 working very, very hard to support his family uh, in complete agony. I just, I can't even fathom the, uh, just how that could have been for him and for the family to watch him go through that. Um, when he was diagnosed, his doctor told him that it was so far along, it had spread pretty much everywhere. He more than likely was not going to make it, was the way that they phrased it. The doctor offered that he participate in a clinical research trial at MD Anderson uh, for this advanced stage testicular cancer. Now, that treatment either directly or indirectly impacted the care that I received here, which was so direct, so precise, so effective that I feel like I owe a lot of gratitude to him for the sacrifices that he made not only in his life, but all the way leading up to his dying day. Um, and so it's, it was really interesting that I learned that just before I found the lump of my own. And it speaks to those Latino superstitions that if you talk about cancer, you think about cancer, it's going to happen. So, you know, hush, don't even, don't even bring it up. Don't bring it into this house. Um, that's not the way that it was for me. I had a non-seminoma mixed germ cell testicular cancer, which means that my cells upon birth were arranged in a certain way that this was going to happen. This was an inevitability. Uh, my body was going to develop it at some point or another, and it just happened to be now, or it happened to be last year, I should say. Um, so as painful as this experience was for my family and as painful as it was for them to recount it as I'm going through it, it kind of came together in some sort of, I don't know, some poetic closure for them to be able to see the effectiveness of catching it early, the effectiveness of trusting medical professionals, the effectiveness of really taking care of yourself and making sure that you are on top of your follow-ups, that you are aware of your body, and that you are uh, just really doing the best that you can to stay on top of your medical care. And it's really easy to be intimidated by the system. It's really easy to feel overwhelmed. It's really easy to feel like 
there's no hope when you get a diagnosis like that. Um, but if you maintain a positive attitude and if you really try to focus on the things you can do, it's a lot easier to move forward rather than focusing on the things that are out of your control and the things that you uh, have no way of changing. So, you know, going back to, to and, and thank and congratulations, by the way, thank for, you. for that. Congratulations. Um, that's something that I'm sure people can resonate with. It's a huge life accomplishment and just, it's amazing that you're sitting here healthy, having this conversation with us. So going back to those days um, before your remission, right, before that, talk to me about what what happened or what event was it that strikes a chord with what you're doing right now? What was that moment where you said, I need to make a change or I need, want to make a change? You know, take us back there. Well, I mean, I've always been pretty civically engaged. I've always been the, the annoying friend that's like, hey, let's go to the Capitol or let's go to City Hall. Let's uh, support this bond that's coming up or whatever. And uh, it just kind of seemed like a natural fit considering the experience that I had this past year that uh, this role came up. I mean, it was really strange when I found it on the job posting board. I, to be honest, I would not have looked at the American Cancer Society uh, job board had I not gone through this experience myself. Um, I thought I was being catfished at first, honestly, by the job posting. Like, there's no way that this exists. There's no way that I can do something that I care about, that I'm passionate about, that directly relates to an experience that I just had. Um, and so I'm here today because this is just kind of a onward trajectory of where I've been going my entire life, I feel, or not my entire life, but I guess over the past five or six years in terms of realizing that elections do have consequences, that the people that we do put in these positions of power do have authority and that they do have the power to make changes. And if you want to see the changes you want to see, you need to put people in power that are going to act in your best interest. And you're going to need to stay engaged with them and make sure that they see you and that they know what you care about so that they don't lose touch themselves. You know, and hearing your story, it makes me wonder that there's a lot of Latinos, a lot of people of color, minorities who are in situations like your grandfather where access to medical care is absent mm -hmm. or perhaps the quality of the medical care that they have access to is not with the foresight of the being able to catch these diseases early on. Would you agree or disagree with that? Absolutely, I would agree. There is evidence that Hispanics and Latinos are diagnosed at cancer at lower rates than their white counterparts here in America. However, cancer is a leading cause of death among Hispanics and Latinos, which I don't know what the reason is for that. That's what research is for. Uh, but what can be discerned from that is while the incidence rates are statistically a little bit lower among Latinos, it still leads as a cause of death among Latinos. So that speaks something to whether it's an environmental issue, whether it is a access to care issue, whether it's a health and lifestyle issue, who's to say? I'm not able to say because I haven't done the research myself, and I know that there is a lot of evidence pointing to a number of factors uh, but that's that's what research can get us. Research can get us the answers that we would like to know in that regard. But to speak to your point directly, yes, uh, it is an issue of access to care. Absolutely. And that's not just a Latino thing. That is just a worldwide thing. Uh, folks just, whether or not they have the access to care, it's oftentimes having the education and knowing when 
it's appropriate to, you know, raise the flag when it's important to say, hey, something's wrong, something is uh, amiss with my body, uh, and not waiting six to eight months of dealing with something to say, oh, maybe I should go see a doctor now. And from a cultural and maybe even from an environmental point of view, you think about Latinos when it comes to medical care. You know, they tend to look to their elders or they tend to look at tradition or superstition Mm -hmm. sometimes. And I think um, education in these scenarios is is critical. You know, education not in the sense of informing yourself, but in, in the importance of relying on valid research, like you said, but also informing yourself of, of where to find that education and what, where to find that research, mm-hmm. right? So you had talked about that your whole life perspective had changed going through this. Can you kind of share what it was before um, being diagnosed and then what it was after? Well, before being diagnosed, I was honestly in a bit of um, flux in my life. I had recently been Uh, laid off from a position and the position I was honestly very listless in. Uh, I was very unhappy in that role and I was trying to think about ways that I could reset myself, ways that I could, uh, you know, reinvigorate my whole lust for life and my way of living. Uh, But it, it just wasn't happening. There was nothing organically that I felt that I was able to do because, I mean, you try to wake up in the morning as if you're, you know, in like a Pluto cartoon or Goofy or something like that and like walk outside and pretend the sun is smiling back at you and try to move forward and uh, make the day meaningful. But uh, and I didn't feel like I was legitimately helping people with with anything. Uh, So I was laid off on a Wednesday and I noticed the lump on Thursday. So the next day and then I was in a car accident on that Saturday. It wasn't like a big accident. It was just a fender bender. Uh, and, you know, I had friends be like, well, you know, these things, you know, come in threes. And at the time, I was very visibly sick and I was very visibly tired, exhausted. But I was still very passionate. I still cared very much. And I wanted people to understand that while I had the support of a great family network, friend network, not everybody has that. Uh, I wanted folks to understand that there are a lot of things that you can do at the civic level, at the ballot box, that will have drastic impacts on the care that people can receive going forward. So I have a lot of things to be grateful for. And uh, I remember when I was concerned about the cost of it, my mother-in-law said, well, you don't need to be worried about any of that. I mean, we're here to help you. And I said, it's, it's not just about me, though. Um, I was worried about the cost for for us because, I mean, it's more money than we were anticipating spending. But I was more worried about people who were less fortunate than I am, uh, who don't have the family network, who don't have the friend network, who uh, are facing this with a sense of hopelessness. Uh, I was worried about those people. I was worried about how are they going to be able to pay for this. I was worried about how are they going to deal with this, not just... Uh, with the physical aspects of going through treatment, but who are the, who do they have to talk to? Who do they have to uh, work these complicated feelings out with? There are a lot of impacts that people do not think about when it comes to cancer care. Uh, they don't think about the political aspect of it. They just think of the health aspect of it and not the mental health aspect of it, mind you. They really only think about the baldness. <laughs> That's what people think of when it comes to cancer care is they just think about Um, what it looks like. They think about, you know, the sunken in dark eyes, the bald head, uh, the listless demeanor. They don't think about the the long game of it all, the way that it's all shaped out and the way that cancer care as it is today 
is the result of legislation of years past. Hi, this is Rebecca Jones, Assistant Director of the Institute for Health Promotion Research. Our organization serves as a research powerhouse to fuel Salute America's content. Here at the IHPR, we investigate the current state of health inequities in America and how that impacts the Latino community. Our research investigates cancer, chronic disease, and other health disparities among Latinos in South Texas and beyond. To learn more about the IHPR and our work, visit salud.to backslash IHPR. Hi, this is Rosalie Aguilar, Project Coordinator of Salud America. As an organization, our mission is to help create a culture of health equity for Latinos. We work toward this goal through countless hours of research, writing, editing, and producing. If you believe in what we're doing and want to support that work, please consider donating to our cause at salud.to backslash donate. Thank you. I want to I want to go back to something you were talking about just right now was the idea of like the psychology of having cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, from your experience, you know, for those who are listening who are who are going through something very similar, you know, how did you handle the psychology of being diagnosed with cancer and then finding yourself in this situation where you had a network to support you, but also the realization that you are working within a system that hasn't necessarily been equitable with Latinos in the past? Mm-hmm. Well, when I was first diagnosed, my I, I've gone to counselors most of my life. Uh, it's been something that has been a real boon to my life. It's been it's brought me a lot of clarity on situations that I would not have been able to get otherwise. Uh, when I was diagnosed, I reached out to my counselor who I'd seen prior, but I'd stopped seeing him because I was starting to deal with a lot of things in a really constructive way. I was able to piece things together as they came in real time. So I get this diagnosis and I reach out to my counselor. He's not taking patients at this time because he just went through open heart surgery. And so it was uh, like, oh, okay. And, you know, he was telling me that, you know, he, that, you know, what he was going through. And, uh, you know, of course, like, there's no way I'm going to one up you. And it's just like, well, yeah, well, I have cancer, you know, <laughs> it's just like, I'm sorry about that. But like, what about me, man? Um, so from there, it was a little difficult trying to find someone who knew what to do in this situation. So luckily, uh, the social worker at my oncologist office was able to give me some connections on counselors who have experience dealing with cancer patients. I saw some counselors through this process that do not know how to directly address these particular issues. There are general things that I'm sure can be applied to any situation, but this is a scenario that has unique mental uh, ramifications that you don't think of uh, when it comes to general mental health. One thing that comes to mind is purpose. Uh, Trying to find the purpose through all of this. Trying to find the trying to find the way to make all of this worth it. Uh, I myself was confronted with a lot of feelings of guilt. uh, Not only from my grandfather's passing from the same thing, but guilt just because I knew that so many people were not afforded the same quality and access to care that I have myself. So it was trying to come to terms with how can I make everybody's concern for me, everybody's donation to my GoFundMe, everybody's trip to my house to help us do chores, to help us do laundry, to bring us food. How do I make that worth it? 
how do I make those people's efforts mean something? Uh, and not just mean something that I'm grateful for, but to mean something in the bigger picture. Uh, and so that's been something that's been my most recent challenge is trying to find a way to turn that experience into a way that we can, as a collective society, move forward in a better way. And so to answer your question about how I'm dealing with that, that's a good question. <laughs> I'm looking for the answer for that myself. It, it sounds like it's an evolutionary process, mm -hmm. right? And I would assume that being manager of American Cancer Society in a way kind of aligns some of those goals you have, which mm -hmm. is how do you, in your words, make it worth it for all these people that wanted the betterment of you for just the sake of you wanting to get better. Mm -hmm. So, you know, be, being part of the American Cancer Society Center, how does that mission align with your new philosophy of trying to kind of make it worth it? Well, we have a couple of immediate priorities that really align with ensuring that folks who would not have access to care, underserved communities across the state, would be able to get those services. Uh, one thing that we were able to do this past year is we worked with the Texas legislature uh, to approve a $3 billion research and cancer prevention bond which is going to be headed to the ballot in November, uh, that's a chance, that's November 5th, that's a chance for Texas voters to, from their end, approve $3 billion in cancer research and prevention funding uh, in Texas over the next 10 years. So not only is it going to fund valuable research, which, you know, when we circle back to what my grandfather went through to create this cohesive treatment that worked so well for me, it also goes towards educational opportunities for underserved communities across the state. It goes towards preventive services for underserved communities across the state. And it goes towards um, really just making it all in all easier for Texans to get quality care. You know, there's a reason that folks come from all around the world to Texas, particularly to Houston, to receive cancer treatment. There's a reason for that. And the reason for that is that they have the research they have the quality of care, they have the tools that they need to give people the care that they need. So here at the American Cancer Society, I've been able to work with lawmakers, I've been able to work with uh, citizens, I've been able to work with community organizers, with community groups, uh, to make sure that they are aware, their supporters are aware, and that they know that there is an immediate action that they can take on their own, which is going to improve cancer care for everyone down the line. And to answer how this has all like aligned, I, <laughs> I don't know how else, or I mean, I'm always looking forward to seeing like the ways that we can improve upon this and the ways that we can make this even better. Uh, but it's just been these quality conversations that I've been able to have with lawmakers, with people to just see what matters to them, uh, learning their stories, learning what in their mind is an ideal cancer system? What in their mind uh, would make this perfect for them? And then trying to see what's feasible, what can we do, what is something we can do next to work towards that goal so that we are all feeling happy, we're all feeling more confident and comfortable with the options that we have. And, you know, I still, I wake up really grateful for the job that I have, really grateful for the people that I'm meeting uh, these are people I would not have met otherwise. These are interactions I would not have otherwise. And just to know that it's all something that is meaningful to them, it's meaningful to me, and it's a way that we're all able to unite through a really painful experience 
uh, more painful for some people than others, but it's nonetheless, it's hard. It's really hard to go through something like this, but to know that other people have been through it and to know that there is a way that you can do something about it, that is, I mean, that really helps me get through my days and that really keeps me motivated to do what I'm doing and to stay excited about what I'm doing uh, because every day is different. There's always going to be a new challenge. There's always going to be something new on the table that we can do to make this better. To find all that the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network is doing in the community, visit them at fightcancer.org or by checking out this episode's webpage at salute.to slash salute talks. Salute Talks is produced by Rick Carrillo, Josh McCormick, and the media team at Salute America. It is executive produced by Dr. Amelie Ramirez. The music heard on this podcast is produced by Bonus Points. Find Salute America online at salute-america.org. Find us on all social platforms at Salute America to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Check out our award-winning videos on our YouTube channel at salute.to backslash video. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. Thanks for listening, and as always, we hope you enjoyed.